Welcome to the RUF Berkeley podcast. RUF is a campus fellowship centered around experiencing and expressing the love of God to our campus, our classmates, and our community. For more information, check out our website at rufberkeley.com or find us on Instagram at rufberkeley. Okay, so let's let's get back to it and uh, jump back into our series on the Psalms of Lament. Um, if you're you're joining us for the first time, um, and just by way of reminder, again, we're we're sinking into the Psalms this semester because the Psalms are uh, what we've been saying a roadmap for the normal Christian life. They kind of show us the way. Uh, they're a school for the human heart. They they teach us how to feel. They give us words to express our emotions and our anxieties and our doubts and our concerns and our joys and our delights. Um, and then finally and ultimately, uh, they're the hope for humanity, for the world, because ultimately the Psalms point us to Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus and the Psalms are no different. And they uniquely point us there through their poetic language. And it actually tells us something about how God cares about us and communicates to us that he would see fit to put in his word, not just a bunch of rules or propositions or doctrinal truths about who he is, but even poetry. Poetry has a way of capturing our imagination um, and helping us feel and see the world in ways that we otherwise couldn't, and therefore feel and see and know and savor God and the gospel in ways that we otherwise couldn't. Um, I wanted to add something else, too, to come at it just from a slightly different angle. Uh, A fairly good friend of mine, a former RUF campus minister, now a pastor in Knoxville, Tennessee, his name is Brent Harriman, and he he actually was my assessor when I was going through the process of of interviewing for this uh, position here. Uh, He was the guy that was kind of making sure that Holly and I were... uh, kind of healthy and called to campus ministry and getting to know us. It was a great process. But anyways, really love this guy. Brent Harriman is his name once again. And uh, uh, he says that the, the one of the great things about the Psalms is that they force us to read Scripture more for quality than for quantity. They force us to slow down and to meditate and to contemplate um, rather than simply check a box. Uh, oftentimes when we go through our Bible reading plans, if you're, I've never really been one of those kinds of folks, uh, but I'm, I'm a big proponent of them, uh, of working your way through the Bible in a year and a few years or, how, you know, however long it may be. Sometimes we get caught up if I just like check the box, read the verse, read the chapter, whatever it may be, then I'm kind of done. But the poetry of the Psalms, they kind of lend themselves to be chewed on and and savored and uh my my friend brent he he said I, I love the language that he uses here he says the psalms they're not like a paint job on the human heart where you just kind of color life as it were but the psalms lend themselves poetically to become like stain that seeps into our minds and in our hearts and I love that language uh, because in order for something to stain, it has to sit there for a while. You have to kind of be in it. You have to chew on it. And so we have to slowly sit in the Psalms so that they can stain our lives, um, that their marks are kind of indelibly placed on our minds and our hearts. And so 
Last week, uh, we looked at how the Psalms of Ascent, which is our large group series, we looked at how the Psalms of Ascent were like a, a road trip playlist. They were songs for the road, for the journey, and uh, they accompanied ancient Israelites, people of God from way back in the day, on their way to Jerusalem, which is where God's where the temple was and where God's presence was. Um, these psalms accompanied them like songs on the way to Jerusalem for, for various religious festivities like feasts and worship and for temple and so on. Um, so just a short way to think about it is these psalms led the way to God. Um, they captured the imagination of the Christian life. They captured its trials and its struggles and its joys and uh, its reward and ultimately its destination. Uh, we tried to come up with an example last week, but put on the spot, I couldn't think of any music because I froze. Uh, so I thought about it a little bit this week. Um, for many of you, when you hear uh, Lil Nas X, uh, his, his great hit, Old Town Road, you think of TikTok or a random frat party or perhaps even some bad decision you made a long time ago or maybe even last night. But if you were in RUF, uh, it still may remind you of those things. Um, but if you were in RUF a few years ago, when you hear that song, you probably uh, it probably reminds you of our annual service trip to Yakima, Washington. Um, and true story, we found that song before it blew up. And when we got back to Berkeley, within a week or two, it was like played at every frat party that you could find. Uh, and it just became this thing, like it wasn't even intentional. It was just like, hey, I found this song and we turned it on and became this hit for the 13-hour drive there and back. Um, so anyways, that's just like a good example of like when you hear a certain song, it reminds you of a certain moment or a journey or a relationship or whatever it may be. Um, and so... Psalm 120 showed us that we went over last week. Psalm 120 showed us the first steps of the normal Christian life. Um, if you remember, the, the, first, uh, the, the Christian journey starts by stopping to believe the lie that everything's okay. Uh, and then it turns to God uh, through prayer. Our psalm tonight, the very next psalm, Psalm 121, uh, it keeps us on that road, on this journey, and it gives us an idea of what to expect as travelers on that road, as pilgrims, as sojourners in a foreign land, right? That is uh, awaiting um, um, that that we're, we're folks in exile, we're wanderers, we're on the road to a home that is our own and we're not yet there. Um, and the Psalms, this Psalm in particular, gives us two crucial ingredients for the normal Christian life. Um two really important ways that should shape what you expect your Christian life to look like, feel like, um, and, and, and be like. Um, and the first ingredient that this psalm gives us is a question. It's a question. The first ingredient it gives us is a question. Um, uh, and the question is this, where does my help come from? Where does my help come from? So in verse one, the psalmist writes, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Now, the first thing that I want you to notice um, is that immediately after Psalm 120, 
immediately after Psalm 120, the beginning of the journey, immediately after this journey begins, this journey of turning um, from your way and following God's way, the psalmist is already asking for help. Immediately afterwards, this is not Psalm 130. We went from Psalm 120 to Psalm 121, and immediately the psalmist is already asking for help. And the picture that this paints for us of the normal Christian life is one that immediately looks to God for help and is continually looking to God for help. And that's um, and here's what's important about that uh, for us tonight. Um, so often I talk to uh, so-called seasoned Christians, right? Folks who think that they've kind of got it all together, that their life is kind of, uh, their Christian walk, their Christian life is kind of together. And they, might, they may not say this or articulate this, but functionally they believe, they live their life in such a way that crying out for help is an indication that their walk with God is, is actually on shaky ground, that something is wrong. Um, they see it as somehow exposing in themselves a lack of love for God and for his ways. But what this psalm says is exactly the opposite. It's exactly the opposite. Um, you know, if, if you're a Christian on this call, uh, some of us believe that after the initial act of repentance, right? Like, so we use these words like repentance and conversion that sometimes have some baggage with them, but they're actually good words. Like repentance is simply just turning from your way and turning to God's way or turning to, uh, from your way to Jesus. And conversion is just simply like a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of uh, really existential reality. You begin to see the world in these new ways. Um, and many of us believe that that initial act after that conversion and placing our faith and trust in Jesus, that we ought to at least have uh, several years, maybe, of steadfast, obedient, holy, sanctified lives. Right? It's as though we have this view of Christianity as one in which once you turn to God, everything just kind of increasingly gets better. I'm, I'm sure that may not even be you, but I'm sure you, un, you can relate to that notion of encountering that kind of mindset. Um, but there's, there's some good news, uh, and, and here's the good news. It's, it doesn't get better. It doesn't get better, and here's why that's good news, okay, because it sounds a little odd. Uh, it's good news because this means that you can stop pretending that you don't struggle. It's good news because it means that you can stop pretending that you don't struggle with lust. It's good news because it means you can stop pretending that you don't struggle with pornography. It's good news because it means that you can stop pretending that you don't struggle with comparison. That you don't struggle with idolatry or with pride or with anger or with greed or with alcohol. Or, or here's one that nobody's really willing to admit. Um, it, it means you can stop pretending that you don't struggle with racism. Christians ought to be the first people to admit we struggle with racism because we love to be superior. We know that about our hearts. 
It frees you to admit uh, that you struggle with laziness. You don't have to pretend that you don't struggle with self-harm or with depression. And instead, you can ask for help. Instead of canceling each other for stuff that we're all guilty of, uh, we instead can ask for help. Like, what if that's the way the world looked? And that's what the Christian life is all about. It's a continual process of unearthing and exposing the darkness in our hearts and going to God for help. Okay, so that's the first thing that I want you to notice about what the psalmist is saying. The second thing that I want you to notice, particularly those of you uh, who struggle with doubt, I want you to notice is that the psalmist questions. All right, the psalmist question, his first step in the Christian life is a genuine question, an anxiety-induced question about his existential plight. Who will help me? Another way of thinking about this is, is God really there? Is he really who he says he is? Does this, does this even make sense? Does this whole Christianity thing make sense? And the psalmist is telling us that our questions are crucial for faith, not a hindrance to faith. I'll say that one more time. The psalmist is embodying for us, is modeling for us that our questions are crucial for faith, not a hindrance to faith. Faith without doubt, faith without questions, faith without concerns is no faith at all. That is not biblical faith. That's what we call blind naivete. And the psalmist encourages us to look at the world, to look at our relationships, all the dangers that exist in the world, all the complexities, all the intellectual uncertainties, all the normal uncertainties that exist, all the challenges that you face in the classroom, all the stuff that you read, all the things that your good friends that are not Christians say to you that totally make sense. The psalmist uh, says that we're to ask the hard questions and to bring them to God. So if you had a view of Christianity that left the hard questions outside, um, let me let me graciously tell you you're wrong. And anytime you ever encounter another Christian circle that tells you to kind of keep quiet on some of those hard questions, just go away. Just leave that, okay? Because the Bible always encourages us to ask the hard questions. And so I want you to, to ask yourself this, like, do you, do you see your own doubt in this life or in this light? Do you see your own doubt in this life as something that's actually um, crucial for faith and not a hindrance to faith? Can this psalm, uh, to use the language we, we mentioned at the beginning, can this psalm stain your heart in this way? Can it stain uh, your journey with Jesus in this way? Such that you know that you're wrestling with God, whether it's intellectual or whatever, is actually crucial for the life of faith on the road with Christ. Can the psalm stain you in that way? Um, we are made more like Christ, as the Apostle Paul says. We are made more like Christ through our suffering. And so what I hope that this gives you is a category for intellectual suffering. That includes your intellectual suffering, the doubts and the questions and the concerns that you have that you may never have real 
cognitive rest on, real mental rest on, your doubts, going to God with your doubts. Uh, so so the, the first ingredient, in the first ingredient, the psalmist gives us these two features of life, um, of the life of faith, and that's asking for help, turning to God for help continually. Um, and then two, just asking, period, right? Questioning, bringing those questions to God. Um, but the psalmist, uh, if you notice, if you read the psalms, most of the psalms are always, even them individually, on a journey. There's progress made. There's movement. There's a journey and a pilgrimage. So he doesn't just question and he doesn't just ask, like, where does my help come from? Uh, he also answers. There's a Q&A. There's some self-talk going on here. Um, um, so this psalm is a question, right? That's the question. But the answer it, uh, is a declaration, a declaration of trust. It's a Q&A. So it's a question and it's a declaration. <clears throat> and the declaration is this. My help comes from the Lord. That's the psalmist's declaration. My help comes from the Lord. And we're given two reasons for this declaration of trust by the psalmist. And so quickly, the first reason that he gives is that he can trust in God, even despite asking the questions of where his help comes from and just asking questions in general. The first reason that he gives us is because God is our creator. God is our creator. Look at verses two through four. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The same God, what the psalmist is saying is that the same God that created the heavens and the earth is the same God the exact same God who is intimately concerned even with where your foot lands. Listen to like the microscopic language that the psalmist here, the same God that created heaven and earth is intimately bound and concerned with where your foot lands, where you step, how you walk, your laces. Right, this is a, a beautiful and intimate picture that we're given of God that can be so transcendent and yet so imminent and personal to your life. He's so intimately intertwined with your life that the psalmist continues on to say that his eyes actually never leave you. He never sleeps on the job. He never falls asleep. So no matter what you experience, no matter what it is, no matter how you feel, no matter how downcast your soul is, no matter how many questions you have, this is a declaration that the God who created the stars with such care is even more concerned with the care of his children. Okay, so the first reason that the psalmist can declare trust in the Lord is because God is our creator. The second reason for this declaration of trust is that God is our keeper. Look at verses five through eight. Uh, the, The psalmist writes, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth 
and forevermore. The, the image of a keeper here, I mean, this brings into view lots of different things, uh, but one of, the, one of the main features that it brings into view is like a, like a mother or a father who, who shields their child from the harmful rays of the sun, uh, who takes the heat on their back and casts their shadow um, over their beloved. Um, and even this, the, the moon language, right, that you see here, it's, it's a little odd, but it's, it's picking up on what many believed in the ancient Near East, that the moon is kind of associated with lunacy. It's where we get the term lunar, right? Uh, so, so there's kind of some mental health issues in view here, depression and anxiety, doubt, whatever it may be, things that are actually driving you mad. And what the psalmist is trying to communicate is that although they frustrate you, and may for your entire life, they will not keep you because God is your keeper. You are his possession. Okay, so I want you guys to spend some time. We're going to break out into breakout groups here in just a moment, Um, but I want you to spend some time reflecting on this question both in the breakout groups and throughout the week, and that and that's that's this. Where do you find help? What do you look to for help? Do you look to um, beauty? Do you look to your beauty? Do you look to kind of self-branding? Ed, there, there's so many things in life uh, that if you take take just a moment and reflect and meditate on what's actually going on here, there, there are cries for help like the psalmist. There are cries of, uh, there are questions that we're asking, where does my help come from? In many ways, we answer uh, with, with a bunch of different things like beauty or any attempt at self-branding, right? If I can just look a certain way, that's all the help that I need. If my image is captured and my brand is on brand or on point or on fleek or whatever the new words may be, I think fleek's a little outdated now, but um, uh, that's all the help that I need. Or in particular right now, our cultural idols, maybe the, the biggest one is politics and politicians, especially at Berkeley, right? So you're, you may be thinking if Biden is elected, like climate change will disappear because Trump caused climate change. You may legitimately think that. That's like a legitimate narrative, right? If Biden is elected, all the problems go away. Or you might be like the very, very rare unicorn on Berkeley's campus and you think that like, Trump is actually the help that we need. You look to politics and politicians, policy and legislation, right? Some of you may look to alcohol. Uh, More of you look to alcohol than you're willing to admit to me. I hear it secondhand. It's okay. I did it too. Um, More of you look to alcohol and even drugs uh, than you're willing to admit. It's the help that you think that you need. You're so, whatever it may be, you're so overwhelmed by social anxiety, right? You, you walk into a new space, you go to a party, whatever it may be, a normal gathering, and you're overwhelmed by social anxiety, but you think that drinking in excess is the help that you need. That will give you the boost to make you okay, to make you likable. It will give you the help that you need. Or maybe... Maybe it's an unhealthy codependency on friends, right? We're, we're made for community. That's undeniable. We're made for friendships and for relationships. But uh, 
oftentimes we don't really remember that that people will let you down. I will let you down. Morgan will let you down. Christian will let you down. Holly will let you down. Your roommates, your best friends, they will let you down. And the reason why is because we are broken and we're sinful. We are not saviors. Okay, we are people who need a savior. And maybe you place like unrealistic expectations on your friends to shoulder all of your pain. That's where you find your help. You just just load it all on them. And if you think that that will stop once you get married or once you graduate or once you have children, you'll just keep placing all of your pain on people and they won't be able to bear it and they'll run away. Maybe it's religion. Uh, You just kind of think, I need a few pointers. I need a few rules to live by, to make myself look good, to help me through. Uh, and, and in the meantime, you, you ignore and you forget the good news of the gospel. So if it's Christianity, you, you've reduced it to simply not saying cuss words, to going to all the Bible studies, to serving in every capacity at the local church, um, to doing all the things. And you think you're good. That's all the help you need. Or maybe, lastly, maybe you look to yourself. The self-help industry is a billion-dollar industry, and so you just look inward. That's a big thing right now. Autonomy, right? It's just me, and nobody can tell you what's best for you. I can't tell you how many times I have conversations with people, students, and I can't tell you how many times I've struggled with this, where it's their roommate or their best friend that's struggling with something uh, or that's obviously in a relationship or... um, in a season of life or in these practices that are not good for them. And uh, either the friend won't tell them what to do, uh, or even if they try to help, uh, you just shut them down because you just look for yourself. You know best. Follow your own heart, your own desires, so on and so on. Where do you find help? What do you look to for help? That's the question I want you to reflect on as we break out into these groups. And as you reflect on that, I want you to see uh, how this psalm points us to Jesus. Um, The language that you see in that last verse, in verse 8, of of going out and coming in, that's shepherd language. Uh, you, You see this a lot throughout the Bible. And God's people are often referred to as sheep looking for a shepherd which is another way of saying we are people looking for help. And it's in Jesus that we have the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. And in so doing, all the promises of this psalm have been fulfilled because as Jesus the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep that are looking for help, he has kept us from all evil. He has kept our life. He has kept our going out and our coming in. Listen to the totality of this language. Whatever venture that you do in life, wherever God calls you vocationally and relationally, and wherever you call home, right, God will keep you and has kept you in Jesus. And he will keep you from this time and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray and then uh, I'll send you out into breakout groups. Father, we uh, ask that you would stain us with this psalm, that it would um, 
indelibly mark us um, with words of life and wisdom, that it would frame for us the normal Christian life as one that struggles and questions and looks for help every day in every step. And also um, that it would teach us to turn to you, to declare our trust in you, even when we don't feel it, even when we can't see it, even when we may be left alone. Um, We pray and we trust that you will do this uh, by your spirit and through your word. We ask all of these things in the name of the Good Shepherd, Jesus, who laid his life down for us. Um, Amen.